All right, and welcome back to the Aviation RC Noob Podcast. I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. And today we are on episode 58. 58? Uh, yeah, it's getting up there, man. It's it getting is. up there. Well, what are we going to talk about today? Uh, Well, you had a good idea. Uh, we're going to be talking about gliders and field gliding, which you'll have to explain a little bit of that to me. That's okay. Uh, yeah, well, you and I are both starting on different scale, uh, on new gliders, uh, new to us in scale, I think, in, in both our terms. Um, mm, not so much. Oh, that's right. No, you made that giant. Anyway, we're both building gliders, and with that, I thought it might be appropriate, and we kind of talked about it, um, at the beginning of the year that I knew we were kind of heading down this path eventually um, to talk about gliders, what they are, what you kind of want to look for, and, you know, things about them that are different than other planes, and then talk about, because um, there are multiple types of gliding, talk about field gliding. There, there are three that I could, I'll talk about, like, immediately. <clears throat> um so one of them is, is slope soaring. Um, the other one is gliding in a field, and I think the other one would be maybe like competition gliding, which is sort of associated. Or um, now my brain is blanking on what I had in mind for the three. But basically, there's multiple types of glide, discus launch gliding and things like that. Like mm -hmm. when you're out in a field, you're looking for different things than you are when you're on a slope, and you're looking for different things slightly um, when you're being towed versus when you're, uh, when you have a motor on board, right? So we'll talk about some of those differences. Um, and in, in each of those categories, there are people who are very, um, adept at those specific pieces. Um, and oftentimes I, I don't know that they don't overlap, but oftentimes they don't usually if they're good or they love slope soaring, chances are they live near a slope. And that's pretty much what they do. Um, not to say they haven't done the other stuff, but that's pretty much their go-to. Whereas other people, like you and me, we don't really have good access to a good slope-soaring cliff or hill or anything like that. Uh, so we're relegated to doing things, uh, waiting for the, for the weather to cooperate and use what naturally happens in our fields uh, to our advantage. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So we'll talk about Which that. Given we, we've had some storms coming through my area lately, but when they're not actively here mm -hmm. and, the, and the sun's out, the last couple of days, like, I wish was the weekend uh, and that right. mine was done so I could go flying because oh, the last couple of days have, been, have looked like they'd be good for it. Right. Uh, they have been. So anytime you see, and we'll, we'll get into it in more detail, but there's certain type of things to look for with the weather. Um, and when it's uh, North Carolina afternoon, it is almost dead perfect every day. Uh, well, yeah, not, not not South Carolina afternoon, at least not. Well, North. Well, nah, it depends. Yeah, it depends on which part of South Carolina, I guess. Uh, I can't remember. Well, yeah, and the and really the time of year because mm -hmm. I feel like we're supposed to be in the stormy season now. It is. Yeah, we're we're we're, we're bound not... we're bound for hurricanes sometime soon here. Yeah, no, 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 but so yeah, hurricane season. But we will get normally. There's a a period of of the year here, not and not like May showers bring April April showers. Like we no. will get 
you can almost set your clock by three the afternoon thunderstorms. Yep. Yeah, between yep. 3 and 5 o'clock, there will be thunder showers somewhere very nearby. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and that's it. And it's basically midsummer to late summer. That's pretty much where we're in. I just don't feel like we've had that this year, so um, I don't know. Uh, maybe we have more up here, I guess. So I've seen that. And, uh, you know, this anytime it's like mid-afternoon to late afternoon, like just as work is get letting out and things like that, I'm like, there's still some good thermals up there. I can see them. You know what I mean? Uh, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll talk about what to do to kind of spot some of them. Um, and hopefully talk to, like I said, talk to an expert pretty here, pretty soon here. And maybe they can help us see, read the clouds better, maybe. Um, so yeah, anyway, so let's, well, let's get into it. Let's, and we'll have some tight tips and tricks and things like that, that we pass along that we've picked up or, or we've read about, um, that maybe you can capitalize on if you've got a glider with you, um, and, oh, and if we don't, you know, if you have ideas or tips or tricks, you know, we'd love to hear them. So I guess that kind of brings us to the community. Um, you know, we have a Discord community. Uh, join it. It's a bunch of like-minded RC builders and flyers, and we get together and talk shop. And I don't know about you, but I don't really have anybody to talk shop with but you, Joe. So a community <laughs> like that is fantastic uh, for a guy like me who can't seem to stop thinking about it. It is in the the Discord has been fairly active the last week, it seems like. like yeah. It, no, normally the general channel stays kind of popping, but mm-hmm. seems like a variety of channels. Not that I've been watching it, because mm-hmm. yeah, no, I get it's, up, it, I go to work, like I don't get to check my phone much, and then I come <laughs> home, and it's like, oh God, time to go to bed. I know, right? Um, uh, yeah, it's been like that for <laughs> both of us in a little bit. But yeah, it's it's been active. I mean, there's been people talking in all the different categories. I think as we kind of parse out the subjects to talk about where you're like, oh, no, this is definitely a motor conversation or this is definitely a transmitter question. Um, it, it helps. So it, it, I think that's part of why some of the stuff. And I also wanted to start honing in on some of the individual parts we talked about in season one and maybe looking at getting into bigger details and maybe getting some experts in the areas we didn't cover as well as I, I think an expert would help us cover and maybe answer those those questions that still linger that our listeners and ourselves you know have uh, about the different components you know like what in the world does all that stuff mean uh, I think we did okay in covering you know enough to get by and to get started but uh, it'd be really cool to have somebody on who could give us some more details so uh, we'll be asking questions about that matter of fact I think our first call out uh, to you guys would be, you know, give us the, our, your top questions, the top maybe three or, or so questions um, about motors. Um, motor seems to be a hot topic that everybody wants to know more about or understand more fully. And they seem to be a mystical thing. So if you've got really, you know, what are the three questions you wish an expert could answer for you? Uh, send us an email or go on the Discord motor section and write out your question. Uh, we'll be looking, mm-hmm. and I'm going to be trying to pull them out as we go uh, so that we have some really good questions for an expert when they come on. And extra points to the person who asks about eddy currents. Wee. All right. Yeah, that, that, I remember reading up on those. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, good. And trying to explain them. <laughs> exactly right. Um 
Well, good. So I, I wanted to call out for that and, and see if we can get uh, everybody who's listening to kind of help us help you ultimately. So um, as always, we have, um, if you want to help support the show, you can become a patron. Um, how would they go and do that, Joe? Go to patreon.com slash aviation RC noob. <laughs> if only we had an announcer. Um, right. In a world where airplanes are king. All right. Sorry. And Joe and Matt aren't noobs. <laughs> we wouldn't have this podcast. I don't think, I don't think we're ever going to be not noobs at something. I think we'll always have somewhere to be uh, bumbling around about. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. So one of the things, uh, one of the guys I, I ran into at Flight Fest, his name is Merv. Uh, he was in a forum and they were talking specifically about motors. And I thought this is a question I, I've heard before. And it's a constant thing. I think we all have, we always kind of like, is that, how, how hot, <laughs> how, how much prop is too much prop for a motor? How can I tell that? Right. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of one of the questions roundabout that was asked. And um, it was somebody saying, you know, hey, is this size prop okay with this size motor, right? How can I tell, right? So um, he wrote that, uh, you know, an eight by six prop in a, uh, is an eight inch dam- diameter. And in theory, it'll move forward six inches with each revolution. So that describes like how a prop is named, right? Like that's what it's called out. But we all know that that's never quite exactly how it all happens. He says higher pitch props, Prove, uh, produce more top speed and always take more watts. So it takes more energy to get there. If this causes your motor to get too hot, you'll need to reduce the watts by either using a smaller diameter, or it says by using a smaller diameter prop. Uh, you could also pitch it down, I guess, if, if you wanted to. Um, but I guess yeah. you're trying to go with that speed, so you want to use less prop. Um, he says what he does is he uses a bench test with any new prop setup. Uh, and then he runs the motor at full throttle for 10 seconds. Then he stops it and checks the temperature of the motor, the ESC, and the battery by touching them. Warm is okay. But if anything is so hot you don't want to hold on to it, stop. That's way too hot. He didn't say way too hot. because that's too hot. You need a smaller prop. If it passes, try for 30 seconds. Then check the temperatures in the same way in the same manner. If it passes, then try run it for 60 seconds. If it passes that... You can go for a fly. It's uh, it's a good practice to periodically check the temperatures after a flight. Um, what works when it's colder outdoors at like 70 degrees Fahrenheit may overheat when it gets hot at like 95 degrees Fahrenheit in the summer. So keep that in mind. I thought that was good advice and a quick, easy way to to just figure out if, if what you've got set up is going to be okay. Okay. So if it's too hot to hold. It's too hot. You're cooking. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yeah, because there's been times I've picked my plane up and touched that motor. I was, hoo-hoo. <laughs> that's, uh, you need a smaller prop, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> or to pull some pitch off of it. Yeah, one of the two. But I think what he's saying is, you know, if you, you usually have it pitched because you want the plane to, to roll at a certain speed. Um, yeah, if it can afford to go a little slower, then yeah, pitch, uh, bring the pitch down a little bit. And I think we talked mm. about when we did the propellers, it's like a one-to-one trade-off, like one-inch diameter for one inch uh, of prop uh, pitch is what you can trade. Generally. Generally yeah, speaking, you can, is what you can trade. You you can do that first inch either way. 
uh, mm-hmm. up or down one to the other, that first inch being fairly inconsequential, I guess, mm-hmm. like the, the conversion rate. But once you start moving beyond that first inch, uh, that starts falling apart. Yeah. So, you know, just anyway, th- keep that in mind. But I thought that that was really excellent advice. I'd ask Marv if he doesn't mind if we showed he, share it. He said, honestly, if we can help anybody, you know, not blow up their motors, then that sounds like a plan to me. Let's <laughs> go ahead, please. Um, he, he's a great guy. I'm, I'm so glad we ran. It's one of those people, you know, I've talked to on and off on the flight test forums and always had a good time talking to him, always knowledgeable, has a lot of great ideas. And then getting to meet him at Flight Fest was just a real joy. So I'm glad we got to. Mm-hmm. Did I get a chance to meet him? No, I was in the one build tent where they're doing the karaoke. Oh, right. <laughs> Everybody else abandoned ship. <laughs> he, he stuck it out with me. I don't know why. I, I, I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, the karaoke tent, uh, the karaoke in the tent kind of pushed everybody out. He and I stayed and, and had some of those conversations. So, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> no, so you didn't okay. end up getting to meet him. If you did, it was you know, real brief. All right. So th- I guess that brings us to what we do in our community. Uh, besides talk shop and talk planes, we also host a build night every month. Um, we're going to be hosting one uh, in a couple weeks, right, Joe? Yeah, you were looking at the 23rd, which will be a Friday night. Mm-hmm. Of September between, um, what, 8 and 11 p.m. usually, right? Yep, normal time, EST or uh, EDT. EDT. Yeah. yeah, whatever we're in, Eastern time. Yep. Uh, 8 to 11, September the 23rd. Uh, we did a... You did, we did, I don't remember if I popped on for that one at any point, uh, a Saturday one recently for Mm -hmm. our non-U.S. folks. Right. Yeah, we try to do one that's uh, more compatible with uh, European times, Mm -hmm. Um, or I guess technically in Australian times. I don't don't even know. Uh, It's a a juxtaposed time. If if it's 8 o'clock here, it'd be like 8 o'clock in the morning there, and if that works, like whatever. Um, So yeah, we just kind of picked a different time, and hopefully it worked for... Some of our listeners who can't get out to the Friday night ones. So um, if you came out, we appreciate that. Uh, I enjoyed spending some time with a lot of good folks on on that one. It was good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think I was at the end of it, I decided I'd cut out my project that I've been working on that we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but one of our one of our listeners, um, Mike, and I call Mike in a pink shirt from Flayfest. But it's, he's more than just Mike. He's a Yankee 2003, if you see him on our Discord. He has put together, um, he's trying to basically find a way to make a Spitfire or any warboard look uh, amazing for very cheap. If you've got a bunch of finishing ideas, he would love to hear them. We have a special channel on our Discord, and we've got a link to the flight test for him that he's kind of documenting his journey to create um, an amazing finish for almost nothing, or at least very little. So... Um, go and take a look at that. I just kind of want to support his effort there. Um, the more people that he gets ideas from, I think the better off all of us will, will be for having a good resource there. So, um, and I think last but not least is today, today was released and this is Thursday, the eighth, uh, today, the flight fest 23 community challenge community build challenge for barnstormers was released today by Wilm Racer. Um, I'm blanking on the gentleman's... I, I hate this. I always do this when I'm trying to... Uh, Spawns is oftentimes a big support. you got all the people who normally 
support Flight Fest. They, they, Wim Racer is another one of those. Um, he ended up working out the, um, helping out with the Dawn, uh, Dawn Patrol Challenge. And so he set up, we were talking about it, I think, in some of the side tents for, as volunteers. We're like, wouldn't it be awesome if we had a big barn <laughs> to fly some of these models? So he's like, oh, that's, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess he, he decided um, he's tired of hearing all the excuses. And I, this is me paraphrasing kind of how things were worded is that, you know, most of the time you're like, oh, I wish I knew about it earlier. Whenever he's like, there's no excuse now. And you have almost 11 months or, or 10 months solid to come up with an idea, build it, and get ready for Flight Fest. I think he's still hashing out a couple of the details, like what size the barn is and maybe some of the contests that will go on. But but we have a link to the thread. Go take a look. Um, we're going to support that effort. As Joe, I'm assuming, Joe, you might be building something. Um, I know I'm going to be building something for the challenge uh, to bring to Flight Fest next year, so uh, something to consider. Well, sounds like I need to be building something for it. <laughs> well, it looks like it's, uh, what, biplane designs? Yeah, generally. that's what they used to barnstorm with? Exactly, yeah. And because uh, because they have two wings, they can be shorter wingspan. Um, I might actually just keep what I built this lap past year and actually fly it at Flight Fest next year and barnstorm with that guy. The flow, the, the flying flea there. Okay. Um, that's that little white. I, I thought you might have been talking about the Don Carnage. No, oh, that would be fun too. But no, I was thinking uh, that would be pretty fun. I, I was thinking, you might as well the, go ahead and fly it. I, I just ripped up the sea duck to put it in the trash can. No, all right, I destroyed it getting the motors out. That's fine. All right, I'm disappointed to hear that. Mo- mostly for the plane yeah. and the experience I thought uh, that you're gonna have. Don't worry about it, we'll make sure that we can get you another one. Uh, yeah, I'll make another one sometime. Yeah, um, well, I cool. still got the motors. Yeah. Well, that that means the you got two very good motors that you can use on almost any plane you can dream up. That's uh, park size. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here, I gotta, what is this? so? Let's talk about what we've been working on lately. Um, yeah. Because you you were mentioning that at the end of the last build party that Saturday one that you had started cutting something out. What were you working on? Um, let's see. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, a long while ago, um, um, I guess on the cover of model aviation magazine, the AMA magazine that comes out to all its wonderful members, uh, Fitz Walker from the RC Roundtable podcast. Um, I listen to them, you know, whenever they put out an episode, um, he built and reviewed, um, uh, what is that? The Leprechaun, which is a an old kind of old school glider that the, somebody's re re-kitted kind of remade into a kit. It's got a 103 inch wingspan. It's like a 90 inch fuselage or something along those lines. And I thought, you know, I've been wanting to go big and I've been wanting to try a couple techniques and see how they stack up and, and be able to make it almost entirely a foam. And I mean, you know, no, yeah, I talked about those campfire skewers and I, I didn't, I thought, you know, let's, can we do this without them? And so the only really big reinforcements are I cut an air shaft in half, a carbon fiber air shaft in half, and I use them for the joining spars for the center 18 inches of this, what is eight and a half foot wingspan plane? Mm, yeah, sounds 
It's about there. Not not nine foot would be hundred and eight inch. It's not so. quite scraping my ceiling. How about that? And I've got nine foot ceiling, so <laughs> got a little bit of space, maybe six to eight inches. Um, okay. Yeah, and the fuselage isn't far behind it. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so it's made entirely out of Dollar Tree foam board, and I thought of um, certain ways that I can lighten the back half because basically, once you get past the spar, everything is going to make nose weight. Uh, it's going to basically make the whole plane way heavier because you need more weight in the nose to balance the rest of the plane out. And it's a because it's got a long tail. Um, I was like, you know, uh, I've got to be smart about how I use this, right? Um, so I cut a bunch of ovals out of all the back halves and stuff like that. And I said, I think I'll just skin it or I'll, I'll coat it in like a monocoat or a uh, what an ultra coat, I think, is what's available now. Um, I've got a, a couple other covering ideas that I will use if I have to. Um, like press and seal saran wrap. How's that going to hold up? That'd be pretty cool to find Ooh. out. Um, it's cheap. It's accessible. It's already half sticky. If you use Super 77 on the other half, let that dry out. I bet you it'll be perfect as long as it doesn't melt when you try to, like, tighten it up. <laughs> um, so there's going to be that to, worth checking out. Um, definitely trying the Dollar Tree cellophane. Again, I think the thing I didn't like about the cellophane mostly was that I think the color wasn't as consistent. So basically, the the though it's a certain millimeter thickness, it's not con entirely consistent with the pigment. So you can kind of see areas of blotchy over the white foam. But otherwise, right. it, it, otherwise, I mean, like you know, when it's ten feet away, you're not going to notice it. So it, I shouldn't be so picky. But I I'll use I'll use you know uh, ultra coat right now. Um, and the wingtips I'll leave clear. I'll probably end up actually using um, the press and seal for the wingtips, which is where I'm going to have the colored directional lights. Um, the back half will be red. Uh, the front half is actually going to be the foam board, but I'm using uh, red, green, blue uh, RGB strip LEDs in the front half of the wing and the front nose of the fuselage and the, the tail. The tail is actually... Almost as big as most park flyers. The elevator. Wow. Right. So uh, that's also pretty open. And I'm going to use the uh, those kind of the same LED setup to do the tail. So basically, when it sends a signal to the RGBs, it's going to be sending it to the nose, the tail, and or the elevator and the, the wings in unison. Okay. Theoretically. Um, I'm sure there'll be some lag, but it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I don't really know, but um, I fly, especially this time of year. If I'm out at the field, it's going to be dusk any minute. And I need something that I can see and turn on a light mid-flight, especially if it's a glider. Because you can fly a glider for 30 minutes on a pretty small battery and still be good. So anyway, the plane is mostly built and I'm just kind of wrestling with my schedule and time as well as trying to get the LEDs set up and the harness right and make sure nothing shorts out. I already burned out a controller. Um, I've, I feel like I've got that Christmas octopus uh, for, for lights set up um, at certain parts of this plane. So um, I'm going to kind of string it through. Uh, I've got a couple more soldering points to make. 
and then I'm going to finish the wire up because I've got to have the wings be able to pull off and unplug. I've got two LED strips and those that are white, two of them that are RGB. I've got a tail section that'll have at least one. Um, and the rest I think are going to be permanent, permanently installed. So I, I still, so there's a bunch of connections, but, uh, it's, it's coming along and I'm almost to the point where, um, if I can get some quality time to sit down with it, I should have it done. Um, within, a, I would say like a solid day of working on it. Okay. Yeah. And I also started and that I got a, a bunch of plans mounted and it's a simple plane, but it's the plane we're going to talk about in the history section. So leave it a mystery. Just know that I have it ready and it'll probably be on the cutting board. Uh, if I haven't done it already, um, by the build night. Nice. Yeah. What about you, Joe? What have you been up to? I know you've been busy. Uh, mostly with work, uh, story of my life at this point, but, um, I don't even remember what I was doing. No, build party. I was doing the wings. Yeah, you were working on the wings. The, the wing. And then when we played for... D&D, all of a sudden you you showed me this. Hey, check this out. And I'm like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so I started um, started on the Simple Soar. Um, one of the ones that I got from Flight Fest. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know what? I just I need something to build for uh the bill party and i had completely forgotten about the flurkin that's sitting in a bag oh. on the other side of my garage <laughs> so i busted out the simple sore which you know i'm looking for a lazy plane to just send up mm. and you know whenever i do get to go send it up and have a nice easy time so Good. the wing got done during um the build party and i think it, i just like devolved into hanging out and chatting yeah it's um, <laughs> usually how it goes after fit. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, when we were playing D and D this last weekend, I got the fuse and uh, tail section put together. Mm -hmm. Um, which I can only watch. Like, I can only watch the build video so much because <laughs> it's actually a good session. I had to be like sort of engaged. Yeah, that's okay. Hey, look, I, but I, I appreciate that you were there. Yeah, my character didn't, but. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. A, that's a different story for a different podcast. Yeah, well, short story, my uh, my cleric died. Yep. Um, yeah, but boy, so we'll what a way to go out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That was good. When Joe opens the can. Um, yeah, let's just say Popeye had a lot of spinach that day. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So uh, when I went to put the tail section on, because I wasn't, watching i was like oh i know how to do this well i glued the horizontal on and then i needed to put the vertical on <laughs> oh okay yeah yeah and I mean, it's so, not terrible uh, but it there's an well, order to it that makes it easy right there there's an order to it and i should have put the vertical on the horizontal and then put it in mm -hmm. because of how the bottom of the vertical slides into mm -hmm. the fuselage yeah it creates a nice so. solid vertical uh, way to stabilize that, but it also creates the skid. I think I think it has like a little skid or something that sticks out the bottom. It does. Yeah, yeah. It's just going from memory, so. but still, yeah, I remember. And <laughs> well, I'm sorry to hear that that didn't work, but it won't be the end of the world. No, I mean I got it in there, just you know, kind of delaminated paper a little mm -hmm. bit, and 
had to glue the joint, which was just glob hot glue in oh. there and kind of scrape it a little bit. Yeah, like, scrape it as much as you can. Well, the, the lighter the tail is, the less weight you need in the front. I know. I'm, I've done what I can. If i got to pop some holes in the fuse to remove some material, I'll do it. I don't even know that that helps that plane much. Um, well, we'll see. That's all right. Anyway. It'll be all right. So uh, I also got servos mounted. Um Servos mounted, control wires or push wires in there, push rods, and the horns mounted. So I just need to build the power pod for it and then get the electronics mounted, like the motor ESE put in there with a battery and you know, weigh it out, pair it up to a transmitter, make sure it's all working right, and mm-hmm. you know, send it. Nice. Well, it sounds and like... Hopefully you- this one flies better than my last one. Just balance it. On your CG before you go. I did. The last simple soar, I balanced it. Okay. And it cut a backflip out of my hand. How? I. It was balanced. How? I don't know. Okay. Well, now you know. Now. Have, have a little bit more nose weight, maybe. Yeah. Don't be afraid well, to put more battery, I guess. I'll say... I'll say I don't know. Um, it may it may have it's been a while. It may have been on the tail heavy side of of balanced, Mm-mm. right? And and by that I mean ever so slightly. Like you know yeah, you've got a me. window where it's right. Yeah. And it may have been on the tail heavy side of that. Also, when I hand launched it, I was throttled up, and they tell you to shim that motor for some down thrust. Oh, okay. Yep. Because high RPM or high high thrust, essentially, because of that high lifting, will nose it up. Okay. So in the build video, they say shim it or washer it or space it so that it's has a couple degrees down, down. thrusting, yeah. right? So that as you're as you're throttling up, you're not nosing up. All right. So a mixture of those two things may be what caused it to do the backflip. Hmm. Okay. Um. What else? Um. Oh, we're we're not not super related, but you know stuff happens, kind of thing. Uh, it is Thursday night. Normally we would record on Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. Um. I got rear-ended on the way home the other day. Yep. And I know I, I know I like messaged you about it and all of it. Yeah, we're ended. So, like, I'd have a hard time taking stuff to go fly anyway because I can't open the back of my car. Yeah, that's gonna put a, go, that's gonna put a put a lock into that for a little bit until you get that fixed. Yeah, I mean, I can go in through the back doors, but the whole back hatch no, no, is no, just no. locked up. Like, yeah, you're, until that gets fixed, you're gonna be relegated to front seat flyers. I guess you got yeah. you got to build an arrow now. Maybe. I mean, I've still got that Depron wing up there. I just haven't finished. You finish it, man. Uh, That'll be a good front seat flyer. You put it in there yeah. where Rachel would normally sit, and you just go out there with it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. All right. So, so you, let's talk about... Okay, go ahead. go ahead. No, you go ahead. Let's get into the history. That's a good idea. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about the history for just a few minutes. Um, I don't have a ton of information on this, but 
in the interest or in going along with our topic, uh, you recommended that I look up the Waco CG-4A glider. Uh, this was a World War II glider, which I really didn't think we used gliders in the World Wars. Um, but I can see how it makes sense. Yeah, they're SPDs, uh, man. <laughs> that, that took me longer to remember than it should have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, they, they can be silent but deadly. Uh, their goal, mm-hmm. Their goal was basically... You know, a plane would tow a handful of them into the air. Um, oh, would, it, would, would a plane tow more than one? Yeah. Look at oh. uh, the popular science article. Click on that, and there's a we'll, – we'll link it in the, the show notes. Um, in that article from 1947, I believe, or 1946, it shows a demonstration on how they would use it in the war. Um, okay. But anyway, go go ahead. But they would use them. They would cl- bring them close to the edge of enemy territory, and then whatever was towing them. Usually, um, what is it? It's not a DC three. Uh, the military version of it was like a was it C forty seven or something? Uh, C forty six. There you go. Maybe that's uh, it. Well, no, it it's was C forty seven. Was it a forty seven? Yeah. Yeah, I checked it. I wrote it. Somewhere here. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but yeah. Okay, C forty six was used uh, uh, once Operation Plunder happened. Okay. Ooh. Okay. I, maybe you could talk more about whatever that is. That sounds interesting. Uh, I couldn't <laughs> tell you what that is. Okay. Very good. Anyway, uh, military operation across the Rhine on the night of twenty three March nineteen forty five, launched by a twenty first Army Group. Um, crossing of the river was at Rees Wessel. South of the River Lip. Yeah, I couldn't tell you what that's about. Very good. Neither can I. So that's not a big deal um, that that we don't know all the details about that part. But my point was is they were towed by what ended up being a commercial airliner. um, And they would tow them a couple at a time and they bring them close to the enemy line. And then, you know, they would turn around and they release the, the glider and turn around. And the gliders would, you know, go deep in enemy territory. And quietly, you know, there's, there's no motor yeah. to, to indicate, especially at night, if anybody's there. So they would mm-hmm. basically, and, and you can talk about what, how they were used, but uh, again, I, there, there's a couple articles I can brief over kind of what's in those articles. And that way you can, you know, look into them if you want to in the show notes. Um, there's a couple of interesting little territory, uh, little, little tidbits that go beyond just the stats and some basics. Well, to give you an idea, and I want to do some quick math while we're talking, um, these guys would, I don't see necessarily, I don't necessarily see like a maximum altitude, but let's say they were flying at, what what, what were planes flying at? Like 39,000 feet, maybe? No, wait, no, that's the number. Oh, no. Let's say they were up at 3,000 feet, which I think is still pretty far up there. Uh, they'd, be, they'd probably be higher than that. Okay. Well, let's take 3,000 feet as an example. We'll do it, yeah. They they had a 12 to 1 glide ratio. Mm-hmm. So 36,000 feet. And if we did 36,000 feet to miles, uh, 7 miles glide distance. Mm-hmm. 
Um, it's not too shabby. It's not too bad. What was the Waco glider uh, maximum altitude? 12,000 feet. Right. Yeah, at that point, you need to have oxygen. Yeah. Once you get to about so 10,000 feet, you need to have oxygen. You, you could go, they could get like 25 miles behind, you know, but from where they uh, got released up to 25 miles. Yeah. Which is useful for what these guys are carrying. So the Waco gliders could transport um, 13 troops and their equipment. That's an addition, I believe, to the pilot and co-pilot or included. Uh, no, it was um, an addition to. Okay. Um, they could also, they, the the way they were shaped, they could accommodate a quarter ton truck, which was the Jeep. Mm-hmm. Um I think it would take the the Jeep and six men. Uh, was it? I read, yeah, and six men or three thousand yep. pounds of cargo. Mm-hmm. Uh, could take the seventy-five millimeter howitzer. So it could take an artillery piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I don't know how much ammo it would necessarily carry. So whatever they could accommodate. Yeah, um, that depends. Dramatic. Or a ton trailer. Yeah, that tra- that dramatically changes depending on the ammo size and weight. Mm-hmm. So, so the nose of the glider, so it's sort of a boxy shaped glider. Um, the nose section would hinge upward. If you think of like the eighteen um, wheeler, the Mack trucks, and such, like the whole canopy, the whole driver compartment like lifts up and tilts forward. Just imagine it's you know this thing's going nose up, and that opened up for whatever to be loaded in for those bigger aspects mm-hmm. uh the 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 howitzer the jeep you know big cargo mm-hmm. couldn't necessarily be loaded through the side door yep um built out of a mixture of wood and metal uh coated coated in um fabric and then i think pitched yeah, yeah, it was fabric, it doped fabric. Yeah. Uh, Ford Motor Company produced about 4,200 models. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kingston plant produced more than any other uh, manufacturer. I don't see the Kingstons in the list to know how many they made. Here's, here's what blew my mind. I'd like to know what caused this one. So, um... The Kingston plant, I think, made them at less cost. So I don't know what they were making them at. Ford Motor Company was producing them at almost $15,000 each, which was big money, mm-hmm. 1945. Um, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, look at see. the variety of, of cost values. Of prices, for some of yeah. Them. Most of them were they, were, they were basically built for under $20,000 on average. But some of the plants... Except... except <laughs> <laughs> Except National Aircraft Corp of Elwood, what, Indiana? Uh, it, yeah, Indiana. Indiana? Yeah. I-N, yeah. Yeah, 1.7 million. <laughs> what? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, <laughs> I don't know. But interesting, one of them, uh, one of those places, let's see, Pratt Reed of Deep River, Connecticut. So that's one place near my hometown. Uh, where I grew up, and then I lived right outside of Willow Grove, right outside the Air Force Base. 
And so it's interesting to know that they were built right around the corner where I was living. I went to the mall. It's probably right down the street from this place. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they were built all over America. And they ended up, how many did they end up building? Do you know? Um, I remember seeing a total number looking. It was almost 14,000. That sounds familiar. Yeah, according to Wikipedia, it says 13,900. Uh, yeah. yeah, so probably about 14,000 were built. Yeah. And, you know, all of them, there's a bunch of, like every plane in World War II, they would be updated and modified. And uh, some of them had engines. Some of them did not. Uh, if they were engines, right. uh, what, what do they call them? They called them pigs. Yeah. <laughs> P- PG-2, I think it was. Right. And so it's powered glider as opposed to, I guess, uh, I don't know what C would stand for, but basically uh, it's a different kind of glider. So they would call it PG. And of course, that looks a lot like pig. Um, so that's a, what CG does sound like. That's a perfect, stand for. Uh, yeah, it's a perfect thing for like, if you wanted to put like, um, looking at the size of the FT glider, which, uh, FT, you know, the FT version of it, it looks to be about like 60 inch glider. So you can probably put like two F pack motors on it or a pack motors and have a good pig rolling around your sky. And then pigs <laughs> would be fine. Wouldn't they be? Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> the simple sore is just not the right. No, form I'm talking for about for the, so, the Waco glider. Oh, well, they but they've got a Waco design. I know. That's what I'm saying. If you build one, you can put motors on it and have a motored glider. Yeah. And then you call it a pig and you have your pig fly. You paint it pink. Sure. A little. Okay. No. <laughs> All right. No. That's fine. This is a okay, flopper. I'm going to put a whole, motor on my. Whole section's getting cut out now. <laughs> 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 no, go oh, ahead. No, my. what are you going to do? All right. So, what am I going to do? I'm just going to put the one motor on it um, mm-hmm. that we talked about. So, length, um, just shy of 50 feet, 48.8 inches. Wingspan was 83 feet, 8 inches. Height of almost 15 and a half inches. Um, max takeoff weight, 7,500 pounds. Max, emergency, max takeoff was an emergency load. Uh, 9,000 pounds. Maximum speed was 150 miles an hour. I think mm-hmm. the the cruise speed was 73 miles an hour. They had an ideal glide uh, yeah. glide speed. I can't remember. I, I saw it, but I don't remember where it's at. But there was like an ideal glide speed. Oh, yeah. I'm, um, I'm sure there is. Most, uh, every plane kind of has one. So when you're in an emergency, you want to know like, how can I go as far as I possibly can go? What speed is that? Mm. And so that's that's usually the first thing they kind of figure out. Uh, yeah. Let's see. Cruise oh. speed was 73 miles an hour. Stall speed was 49 miles an hour uh, with a 7,500-pound payload or with a design load. Let's see. It was to never exceed 150 miles an hour. Mm, there it is. Got Rate of sink four four hundred foot a minute at tactical glide speed of sixty miles an hour. Okay, ninety six kilometers an hour. So that was its sort of best glide slope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it um, so that's about ten miles an hour over the stall speed. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> nice. Well, at that point, you're so the idea is that you're you're keeping the nose of the glider just or it, its mm-hmm. angle of attack just barely below. 
the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. Just like you're, you're getting as absolute much distance for very little altitude drop. And that's just kind of where you're orienting it. Yep. All right. Well, anything else you want to add to all that? Because yeah, I know you were doing some more searching. Uh, there, there, well, there's two two things. Um, if you want to come see one, come visit me in Fayetteville, and you can go to the National Airborne 82nd Airborne Museum um, in Fayetteville, North Carolina, outside of Fort Bragg, and there is a Waco full size, fully restored, on display, with a jeep rolling out of it and five men, five mannequins. Um, or I don't know if there's five, there might be three or something like that, but, but there's a whole display set to that because that is part and parcel of what the 82nd airborne did. They would, they would tow those up and release them. Um, so there's a great display. Uh, I'm like, I think I've seen that before. Like I have, I have, <laughs> and you could even go on a virtual tour. If you look up the airborne museum, you can go on a virtual tour. Uh, Joe, I've linked a couple of the virtual tour pictures so you can kind of see, you know, what, what it yeah, I'm looking like. at them. Uh, some of the kind of what it was really boxy, really good for building a, a very scale looking model out of foam board. Um, mm-hmm. So, okay. So there were two articles that I found when I was kind of looking around just to see, you know, more than just this thing, some of the basic articles um, in popular science, 1944, there's an article called silence partner, sorry, silent partner of the plane. And that's the one. I'm sorry, I have a very low-flying helicopter moving all the windows and walls in my house. I think it's gone. Nice. Nice. And welcome to Fort Bragg, um, where none of the pictures in your house will stay right-angled. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how many times you fix them. Um, thankfully, I'm not really too worried about it. Let's see. Okay, so that popular science article from 1944, and silent partner of the plane, it discussed... Um, some of the tactical things it t- discussed. As a matter of fact, there's um, uh, there's ways they would load it, and then there was a really neat article on like how they got that, how they would tow them, how would they take off, uh, how many could be towed at once. They basically said that if they have more than one, they would stagger the length of the tow rope, and it would be basically a long section of bungee that would slowly release the energy that was stored when it got pulled. Um, so that way it wouldn't snap the plane um, and it wouldn't be a shock to the people inside as much. Um, okay. Let's go back to the popular science article uh, from 1944 saying silent partner of the plane. Um, they talked about the tactics that were used uh, using highlighting the Waco's role in the war and how it would transport troops and cargo and needed goods just in inside the, the hot spots um, and how it would create, um, be able to basically attack your enemy from behind and they wouldn't know because they wouldn't hear the plane go overhead. Um, they would also, the neat thing I think that was pretty cool about that article is they talked about how they would pick them up and how they would tow them. Uh, so they had those, uh, the two sticks that would hold like a loop and then the DC-3 or sorry, the C-47 would fly overhand head with a hook Kind of like they do um, with the signs at the beach. You know, they, right. they pick up the advertisement signs. It's a very similar method. And then what they would do is they pick up that tow line and it'd be hooked to one or up to three gliders. And the gliders would then be at different lengths so that they wouldn't run into each other. So the wings would stagger. 
uh, and it would kind of be kind of spread out in like a triangular formation behind the plane. And he'd just be towed behind it until it was time, and then they would they'd release and and you know drop silently behind enemy lines. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then there's another article from Flying Magazine. It was like a an AOP AOPA, so the Aeronautical Association of Private Aeronautics or something like that. I don't. I got that probably wrong, but um, basically it's private airplane airplane owners. There's a whole magazine that they have, and there's a lot of information in it. And it's an article in February 1947, shortly after the war ended, called "So We Bought a Glider." And the article, read into it. It's a it's a neat story, um, and it's a story about a family in 1947 who bought a Waco glider uh, from the military surplus for seventy five dollars. And they lived in a Philadelphia suburban home, and their kids, I guess they're, they're at the time, kids went off to war. When they came back, they were men. Uh, in the time that they were gone, the ladies of the house had spread out and didn't want to relinquish their space, and they told the boys that they got to go make their own home. <laughs> and so they bought this glider for $75, um, and it came in this massive crate of 7,000 board feet of lumber, like top quality pine. And, uh, and so they basically the vets turned that into additions into their house and they had a, parts and pieces they tried to sell off. And they said, you know, we figured it all out. Ultimately, all we got back from it was $75. So whoever did their job on the military did a great job of pricing out how much somebody could get from selling the parts of that glider. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, it's neat. Uh, it's a neat little article. So go, we'll have a link to that. Just go take a look. It's it's a neat piece of history, I think. Can you imagine getting that much lumber for $75 today? I know, right? Oh, my God. Like you, <laughs> you, know, you can't hardly get a sheet of plywood for that. Oh, my God, right? Oh, it's ridiculous. But, yeah, so uh, <laughs> we'll have some links to places you can build your own. Uh, Terry Dunn, who we interviewed from the RC... Um, uh, RC Roundtable, um, he designed a blue a blue foam version, um, which uh, Flight Test has their own. They have a speed build kit. They also have plans. If I think you're a member of the FTCA, you could get plans. Um, I know they're available. Uh, you can also, there's some balsa plans from places like Aerofred and Outer Zone. I have an Outerfred link if you want to build it. It's really boxy. It's very simple, pretty straightforward. Um, with, with the speed build kit, I mean, I'm literally going to take mine. I'll probably have it cut out and flying, um, within an hour. Talking about those plans for a second. Sure. Um, and we are by no means, by no means sponsored by flight test. We're, we're not sponsored by anybody. <laughs> <laughs> we're sponsored except by our, guys. except for you. Yeah. Except for our patrons. <laughs> um, but I say that be just, you know, so there's no problems, I guess, but, um, I lost my train of thought. Um, where did, where would you have gotten the plans? I guess. Oh, <laughs> right. You were talking about, so I lost my train of thought for a second. I'm coming back into it. The last couple, you were talking about the FTCA. And be able to get plans through there. The last couple, the last couple of months, I think I'd have to. Well, the the perks are now held 
online so I don't get an email of my perks anymore. But I'm fairly certain pretty much every month there's been like a $6 off the FT store. And okay. their pl- a lot of their plans are priced at six dollars. Mm-hmm. So once it's like once a month you can get a free set of plans, right? You know, outside of say the plans that are already free or that they issue, and mm-hmm. so like if there's a plan set that you're looking for, like the Waco or something that's not normally free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, normally then, it's six dollars. I just looked it up. It is on the FTCA. Uh, community site that you can go at $6. Like you said, if you're getting those coupons, that's effectively getting a free set of plans. Right. And I think what the FTCA year was $24 or was it just 12 uh, for, I, for the, for air crew. I'm not really sure. It's inexpensive. It's, it's between a yeah. dollar or two a month. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, go get you some free plans. Yeah. Or close you to know, it. Once a month. Yep. Um, yeah, so like I said, I've, I've got a copy of them because when they came out, I'm like, ah, you know, I may not want to build this now, but I can imagine a day. Oh, that's right. I got the speed build kit for the DC three. And I was like, well, I'm going to build that. <laughs> There's a good chance I'm going to want to build the Waco with it. So what's the DC three? Uh, that's the C 47 that, that originally towed it. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I know I'm going to want to build either the, the, the DC three is a gorgeous looking, uh, what was the, I'll call it the iconic airliner from back, you know, in the 1950s. Okay. Uh, so when I show that to Deb, who used to be uh, airline in the airline industry, she's like, oh, that's such a beautiful plane. You should build, <laughs> she's like, you should build those. I'm like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm working on it. <laughs> I got some things to move out of the way. So, well, good. All right. What do you say we move on to the main topic then? <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Um, yeah, let's get on. So uh, gliding or talking about sailplanes. That's another name. Now, for is that. there a difference? I, I don't think so. Uh, I think they're they're interchangeable as far as I could tell. Okay. I didn't see any difference. Uh, uh, that's where it would be great to talk to an expert because they would be like, oh, no, that's a, to- yeah, that's a totally different animal. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah, but so let's talk about briefly, and I know we've talked about some of these things already, um, but we're going to talk about them briefly again. And then, uh, they're just kind of all the parts and pieces and terms that you might need to know, um, that are associated with just with gliders for the most part. Um, holy smokes, Matt, that's like five or six pages of just text for your notes. There's graphics too. That I borrowed. There's, there's like two and a half Stone. graphics. That's okay. There's a lot to okay. learn. There's a lot to learn. It, it, it's a, it's a topic that requires, I guess, another set of learning that you, you know, now you know how to fly, but here's the trick. Fly without using hardly any energy and conserve mm-hmm. it as much as you can by reading the environment around you. That's a different kind of animal altogether. So well, let's get into it. So let's talk about RC glider types. What do you know of RC glider types at the minute? Um, I know of motored, non-motored, which would have to be towed up, mm-hmm. or discus launched. Mm-hmm. Um, 
non-motored bungee launch. I really only know that because of you. Yeah, it's true. I did. I did put one of those together. Yeah, bungee launch is another um, way. I saw a winch launched. Mm-hmm. Have you seen one of those? Not in person, but I've seen them online. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's a different thing. You're like, ooh, what's going on there? Pretty cool. And then you'll have, um, I guess you'd have your slope sores. That's it. You got them all, man. You know it. You knew gliding. Really? You, Is that all of them? That's all the ones I could find. Now, and that's not talking okay. about contests, okay? Like, the contest will be a separate animal. I'm not going to talk about that because I don't know enough yet. I want to at least... If I'm going to open my mouth about it, I'd like to at least be somewhat accurate. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the, and, and you have everybody seen some of the slope storing stuff. Two examples that come to my mind that every time I look for um, a glider video, their their name always comes up. Andrew Newton, who's in Australia, um, he's got a lot of great just he's got a lot of great tutorial videos on how to get started in it, where to put your your toe, how to get how to get it set up, how to do a bungee launch, how to do winch, um, what to look for, how to build your plane, like, and he's got a bunch of examples. So he's a great resource online to kind of get some information. He's not the only one. There are a lot of people who love gliding and want you to be part of that, you know. Um, and another one, I just can't stop, but I have to, like, watch his videos because I need that soothing relaxing time of watching that glider fly around is John Woodfield. Uh, John Woodfield gliders. He's on YouTube. Um, again, we're not endorsed by any of these guys. I just happen to know, like every time I go to that, there's always, and as a matter of fact, that's where I saw another, I think he inspired me to just like, no, Matt, get to it and build that foam glider that you wanted to the, build, build the uh, leprechaun, which I call the Clericon, which is a drunken cousin of the leprechaun, I thought that was pretty fitting. Um, but he's got a leprechaun uh, that he's uh, that he's built, and it's beautiful. And he lives out in the southwest peninsula of England, and he lives like literally within walking distance of one of those cliffs that goes over top of a beach. And he just like lets it go, and I guess his wife loves filming or something like that. And so he's got these beautiful videos with soothing music. And it's just watching these beautiful planes that are almost always transparent. So you can see the, the structure that he, you know, that, that it's made out of and just watch it go for mm. four or five minutes maybe. And it's just like, ah, oh, I feel better. It now. does sound nice. It is fantastic. <laughs> go, go watch this video. If you haven't seen it, it's pretty majestic. Um, it's, again, part of what inspired me for this and specifically um, one of the two inspirational sources that got me really you know, moving on building the Clericon. <clears throat> um, so let's talk about each one of those briefly. Um, motorized glider is kind of what flight test put together, right? Um, with a simple sword. You put a motor on the front, you can stop or, or start uh, during flight. Um, oftentimes I'll have a folding propeller, uh, which you need to set the ESC brake on. That's what that's for. So that way the propeller rotation doesn't keep the blades out. When it stops, um, when you stop the throttle, it stops the rotation and the blades fold back, creating less drag. Okay. <clears throat> uh, otherwise, it'll just continue to windmill, creates more drag, it slows your plane down, you won't glide as far. Um, another one is, and these are like methods to get your plane into the air, is a winch. 
So that's a me- using mechanical advantage um, or a motorized actual winch, um, and that's typically coupled with a series of pulleys to make the speed increase as you pull the line in. Um, and they'll use a, a foot controller like a sewing machine has um, to control the speed of the pedal. That way you have your hands free to control the plane. Um, okay. Yep. Uh, high start is basically like a gentle slingshot where you have, um, oftentimes it's a surgical tubing, um, some sort of rubber bandy style material that is attached to a very long rope. It's oftentimes over 200, uh, 200 feet long. Um, so nylon rubber tube to test a maybe nylon line. So it's strong and lightweight, uh, that gets attached to a ring. The ring goes over a little hook in the bottom of your glider. Uh, and then you oftentimes have a retainer pin and a foot pedal on the ground. So that way you can set it up and leave it there. So it doesn't just take off right away. Um, and then when you're ready, you kind of pick up your plane, you, you release the peg and you kind of give it a gentle toss up and it'll, pull it'll go up like a kite so it'll pull in towards the source of where you pinned it down uh the the bungee but because the wings are up and it's going straight up it'll it'll act more like a kite going straight up when you get it in the air and then at a certain Mm -hmm. point you get it to where you the apogee where you want to stop and you just nose it down a little bit and it'll slow and usually there's like a little parachute or maybe even just like a little bit of the uh, flagging material. Um, and it's enough drag to pull the ring off the glider. Okay. <clears throat> and it'll slide up, slide off when you're done. And then you just fly around searching for thermals, which we'll talk about. Um, towing. It's much like you'd expect. You have one plane pulling the other one into the air. <laughs> um and then so at some point you have a release mechanism either on, um, typically it'll be on your glider that'll release the, the string that you have between the two, cre- uh, the two planes. Um, oftentimes a servo actuated pin that'll pull out from, from where you have the uh, loop. Um, let's see, you want to talk about the DLGs for a little bit? No. <laughs> You're like, no. Okay. Uh, you want to talk about <laughs> this? This is your topic. Oh, come on. You can read some of this too. You, you watch some nah, of this. Nah, go for it. All right. Um, all right. So let's see. DLGs, discus launch glider, gliders. So you can also do, you can launch a glider by hand. So you'll either throw overhead like a, like a javelin. It's called the javelin throw type. You have a sidearm, which will kind of extend your arm out and rotate it so it's as it comes out, it's going faster and level. I've launched a lot of my uh, wing-style planes that way um, because it's a way to make sure your hand isn't where the motor is or going to go pass underneath it. That's a good idea. Yeah, it's good to keep your hand out or your body out from where the motor's spinning. (laughs) Um, Or you can do discus-style launch, and that's basically, that one gives you the most energy. And what you do is you extend your arm, you grab the wing tip, which has like a little like a little peg that kind of sits in your fingers in between your index and your pointer finger. And you use that to extend the plane all the way to the ground. And as you whip around, like you'd throw a discus, you use that angular momentum and speed to whip it into the air. And it basically does much like you would with a kite. The speed gives it straight lift and it goes up and you'll get a good almost 100, 150, 120 feet before it slows down and you kind of level it out. And, oh, wow. and, and it's all just hand launching. You basically see if you can, and those throws will last 
you should be able, with a good discus launch glider, it seems like you'll be able to get between a minute to two minutes of general flight. Now, if you catch, and that's part of what's exciting about those, is if you catch a thermal, you're going to be up for a long time. Because mm-hmm. um, they are really good. Um, like I said, the discus launch tends to put less strain on your body, but it tends to put more strain on the plane. So you just need to make sure that the plane is appropriately reinforced. <coughs> Sorry about that. Um, That's right. You didn't need that long. Apparently. I've got two of them, right? <laughs> That's what that for. Um, okay. So now we're on to slope gliding or soaring, slope soaring. Um, and so basically that is using the Bernoulli effect over terrain. Um, much like when you have a wing, the existing air that's flowing over the mass uh, couples with the, the reduction of area between that mass and the, and the wing. It's, it's the wing. And land, it's a hill. Um, as it gets compressed, it goes faster. And with that, creates a stronger breeze. So in spots where there normally wouldn't be wind or it'd be real gentle, on hills or on slopes, that wind will actually be significant enough to create enough lift to keep a plane in the air indefinitely. Hmm. And it'll be consistent or relatively consistent, especially on a good day. Um, or the right time of day. I think it's uh, a lot of those situations that are near the shore. Um, not always though. There's some craters that do, uh, some craters out in Utah that, I mean, there's no, <laughs> there's no ocean out there. So um, you get a good hill. Uh, it'll do the trick. Uh, it's usually if you find wind, to- uh, yeah, wind towers, wind turbines, that's typically doing the same thing. <coughs> Let's see. Uh, you can even use a wall or a building or something like that. If they're right, you might be able to get enough breeze to get your plane in the air. Um, so when the wind hits the wall, uh, the air is forced to rise upwards and meet with the existing air in that spot, and it compresses and goes faster. Uh, you'll see seagulls using this. Uh, and so what you, what you, what happens is you don't have to expend any energy to keep a plane in the air. And all you're doing is managing speed versus, uh, drag and using altitude and trading it back and forth for speed and energy as there's almost always a constant amount of wind. Um, okay. and if I could have explained it better, so ultimately after you release it, you kind of go back and forth along the face of that cliff where there's that high wind zone. Um, it's like a little bit up and away, um, but not too far because too far, it's not compressed, right? Too far back is where everything's equalizing back out. So there's no lift there. So you want to be in that high lift zone right at the front face of that cliff. And part of what makes it a lift zone, like what, what, so what, it's not just that the air's moving, because that would just carry your plane backwards. There, like what's needed to keep you in the air is that there is some sort of upward energy, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which is that air curved and going, like catching up, an upward angle. Right, up the face of and that so cliff that, hill. Right, and so it's the up movement of the air that you're riding to stay aloft mm-hmm. as well as the increase yeah, you're speed. basically gliding yeah you're basically gliding back down through the air that's also pushing you up so it's sort of 
the equals the equilibrium of those two is what you're writing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and you're kind of you're balancing between those two things and seeing how long you can do that without uh, without uh, mishandling your plane and maybe having to go down to the bottom of the hill or or going way behind you. Um, mm-hmm. There's a couple of simulators that do a pretty good job of that too. I've kind of given you the feel of what that might be like if you don't live near one. I know I don't, so I'm always curious to see how, like, how is that done? Like, what do you do? I mean, you could probably even do it on the dunes uh, on the beach for us. I, I know I've seen some gliders, some hang gliders go along the beach uh, dunes. So they're doing Maybe. they're doing the same thing. That that wind gets really whippy out there, though. Yeah, it does. Well, I mean, same with the slope too, right? It's all about making sure you got the right conditions. What I've heard is a lot of slope soars will add weight to their plane, so it can penetrate better. But you add yeah, it, you add it on the CG. Yeah, you know, so you're not changing the balance. Um, okay, let's see. So let's talk about some glider materials that really no different than what we would build. Kind of anything you could build a plane out of is typically what you build a glider out of. But obviously, you're because you don't have a motor, um, you want to keep it as light as possible, almost like any RC plane. Um, but you could you could go with foam, so Dollar Tree foam board or Depron. Uh, you could if you buy a store purchased uh, glider, you're, it's probably going to be EPP. So uh, was it expanded polypropylene? Um, or EPO, which is, uh, I think, expanded polyolefin, I think, olefin. Um, but those are standard, somewhat durable, like expanded pla- uh, expanded foams, um, mm-hmm. where you basically create a mold, and then those little beads kind of expand out and match the mold. Okay. <coughs> uh, pardon me. Uh, let's see, balsa. I'm you, you don't need that long. Okay, so balsa, which is typically the stick and rib, where you have a rib, you have a couple notches, you put sticks across them. It creates a surface that you can put a skin on, which is usually a, a very thin one, two millimeter plastic film um, that is uh, a pressure sensitive adhesive or pressure heat sensitive he- adhesive uh, on the one side of it. And then as you, as you heat it and glue it on, you can then you know, use a heat gun and shrink the plastic so it essentially tightens and acts like a, a perfectly uh, smooth skin if you've done your build right. Mm-hmm. Um, you could also do silk and dope, which is basically using a fabric and then using um, almost like a goop material, almost like a glue um, that dries and fills in all of the holes so it, it becomes airtight. Um, that's the old traditional way. Oftentimes it's sort of like a glue mixed with, um, like an accelerant, uh, something that gasses off pretty quick, like an alcohol. Uh, you can make them out of, uh, comp- composites. So fiberglass or carbon fiber, if you're looking for the ultimate and, and oftentimes when you're doing gliding, they go fast. Like they're, they're usually thin profile, unless they're these giant old school scale that I've got where it's big fat wings. Um, <laughs> most of most of the DLGs and stuff like that, very thin. So they have to be high strength skins to be able to take the strength um, of the maneuvers that they're dealing with. Um, so oftentimes people make them out of a foam base with a carbon fiber shell. Uh, they'll have like a carbon fiber 
I've seen people wrap it over top of um, a pool cue to create the boom, uh, the tail boom. So it's kind of a tapered tail. Um, it really, really neat. And you get like really lightweight material um, and really lightweight builds that way. Um, that way you can keep your plane aloft as much as possible with as little wind as you can, as, as you need, you know, that way you can fly in almost any day. Um, mm-hmm. most competition gliders and high, our high performance gliders are typically some combination of fiberglass or carbon fiber. Um, and of course you can always make it out of paper. I mean, just think about what you did as a kid, right? Good old. I'm trying to think. Well, yeah, I guess a paper airplane really is just a glider. That's all it is. It's a simple paper glider. And they're as much fun, I think, in some ways as anything else. Yeah. I mean, some people get crazy in those paper airplane competitions. They do, man. And it's pretty exciting. Really looking at some of what they do, you can probably glean some ideas and what you could try with uh, some of the other materials for a larger model. It's not a bad, hmm. not a bad way to start and test ideas. So I've ever seen a video one time of a guy that made a paper airplane folding machine that also shot them out when it was done. <laughs> what? That sounds awesome. Yeah. Did, did you not see that? No, he, no. It would take a stack of paper and it would peel a sheet off yeah. and just send it down. A series of rollers. And... Yeah. Rollers and, but, and it would fold and crease and, you know, get like, like your traditional paper airplane. Yeah. And when it got to the end, it had like, uh, it had like pitching machine, you know, baseball pitching machine, but it would have yeah. those two little wheels run at a high speed. <laughs> it would grab it. And, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it would shoot, you know, a plane a second. Oh man, don't give me ideas. Two planes a second. That sounds amazing. Yeah. They just keep a keep a ream of paper stacked in it and just pull the trigger and oh my god pew, pew, that is pew, like the perfect that's the perfect stem night for scouts. <laughs> <laughs> Let's fold some airplanes, kids. Beep. <laughs> boom, 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 boom. Yeah, I'll just see if I can find it. Yeah, that'd be great. I can't remember who did it. No, we'll take a look. Like if we find that it, definitely sounds like a Mar- <laughs> that definitely seems like a Mark Roper thing, doesn't it? It does sound like it, but I mean, it may not be him. He's he's probably not the only person who's thought of that idea. <laughs> oh man, who, nice. Okay. Who did that? I don't know. Well, you you look that up while I start talking about the next piece. Uh, what size glider should you kind of look for um, when you're starting out? One of the recommendations is about two meters, uh, which is about you know six feet or so. Um, I think they indicate 78 inches, which is what, five and a half feet Um, or a bit shorter, somewhere in there. That's a good range. Uh, These planes usually only have rudder and elevator for control surfaces. They only require two channels. So they're very simple to set up on one side of your transmitter, um, uh, which makes it really easy to control. And that way it's easier for beginners in some ways to at least learn how to fly that way. Um. It's easy to find uh, ready-to-fly models um, that are expanded polypropylene or, there it is, expanded poly- polyolefin <coughs> or EPO foams. The planes are nearly indestructible um, because e- EPP is like a kind of rubberized foam and EPO is, is pretty durable. Um, a little bit heavier, but they're, um, they use a, than the 
traditional built-up method that we would use with like maybe foam sheets or uh, Dollar Tree foam board. But since they're so much more durable, oftentimes they're a great first start. Uh, and of course, if you get one of those, take a thin packing tape and run along the front and the top and the bottom of the wing, just one string from one tip to the other, and you'll like increase the durability of your plane by tenfold on any one of those models. Um, is it necessary? Probably not, but boy, it it sure would help, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's inexpensive. It's a great way to start, and it's easy to replace them as you need, as you learn. You know? Um, five tips that uh, I found when I was looking around for gliding. Keep the nose below the horizontal. We'll give a link to this, uh, this tip. Um, speed equals lift. So basically what you're trying to do is angle your glider as shallow as possible to keep enough speed to generate the lift you need to keep in the air. So it's going to be just below where you stall. Okay. And there's, a, there's an example yeah. picture. Of course, it's a Waco. That is appropriate. <laughs> um, when turning, let the glider bank into the turn. So aileron drag. So when you move the ailerons, it's going to drag your plane far more than you would if you just use a little bit of tail. Keep in mind, the tail has much more moment. Um, it, it's more effective because it's so far out. You don't need as much surface, which means it's going to drag less than ailerons, which need more to do what you're trying to do. Um, so you should be able to see the plane slow down when you start using aileron inputs. So try to remember, keep it with the rudders or the elevators. Um, don't move the sticks unless you have to. That's a big tip. Uh, and so one of the ways you find thermals is by figuring out what the wind is doing to your plane. So you find a gentle line and let it just glide straight across and let it, let the plane follow it. Okay. So if the if the glider turns a little bit, let it, let it go a little and see how it follows the air masses, right? When you see the plane getting a little bumped around, um, either banking a wind or wing, wing or the plane nosing up or, or accelerating, nosing down, um, and, and you're not putting any inputs, then what you're doing is you're finding air currents. Um, and you need to be able to start learning how to read those. But if you're moving the sticks around constantly, you're never going to be able to start looking for them. You're never going to be able to see them. So um, so let the glider do the talking, right? Let the glider tell you what's happening in the wind up there. Um, so he says, you know, one of the ways is like trying to hear a cat walking while talking. It won't work. But if you're quiet, you will be able to hear the cat, you know, unless it's walking on the piano, of course. But uh, otherwise, <laughs> you know, you, you got to be quiet if you're going to listen to what the thermals are telling you. Okay, so that means basically be quiet on the sticks. Let while, while you don't want it to go careening out of the sky, you don't want it to roll over and start nosing in. But for the most part, get it trimmed out so that it'll fly f level and long. Um, and then just let it be and let the glider tell you what's going on in the sky. Um, when you're trimming out your plane, don't do it when it's windy. You're not going to get a good trim. <laughs> You want it to be dead calm, okay? When the air is dead calm, get it up in the air and trim it out so that it's going to fly level and, you know, straight with a slight nose down altitude, attitude, sorry, 
and it will just go. When the glider is completely neutral, when it's slightly nose down, it'll need just enough nose down to maintain speed and just slightly lose a little bit of lift. Um, it'll be it'll be a little bit past the stall angle. Uh, when you're trimming, okay. find out the trim click that, that you're at the edge of stalling and then give it a couple or, or three clicks more. Be gentle. And if you're like as if you're petting a puppy or a kitten, just just be real, real gentle with what you're doing. Having expo in your controls is going to be a big help to you. Um, mm-hmm. Keep the wingtips light. So the lighter your wingtips are, the easier it'll be for your glider to oscillate with the turbulence because the tips will have very little momentum fighting against it. Um, and this will help you read the air currents. So you don't want a bunch of junk out in the edge, outer edges of the wings. So what you'll see in most DLGs is those servos for those uh, ailerons and even spoilers and whatever, they're going to be as close to the center as you can get them mm-hmm. um, for that reason because you want to be able to read the, read the currents. Um, and, and when you're thinking about that with the keeping the wings, the wing tips light, because you're talking about momentum and such, mm-hmm. what's happening there? For, for someone who may not know, when when you try to turn something or when you try to move something, that mass involved requires energy to, to put it into motion. Exactly. So when, when you've got, and this is me talking from what little experience I have of gliding, but also I enjoyed physics. So when you've got these long arms and you've got mass at the end of them, uh, you can you'll obviously you'll want the the weight the mass to be the same on both, so you don't have a wing that's dipping on you and staying down. So you got them level, but if you've got mass on those ends of those wings, when you then try to uh, when something tries to move it, it's got to accelerate. It has to push that weight, but if that weight's not there, there's less energy needed. So it becomes much more. Uh, uh, impact. There's a word I'm looking for, but it, but it it reacts more easily. It reacts. It'll be more sensitive more. to wind wind currents. It'll it'll take less. That's what I was looking yeah, for. Sensitivity. <laughs> Thank it, you. It, you're welcome. It'll take less energy to move that wingtip, which means a lighter breeze will reveal itself with uh, less um, with a lighter wingtip. Well, you'll see those that's, upward currents too. That's it. If if a light one, like a gentle one, if you're right on the edge of it and you're just kind of skimming, grazing, it, yeah. Right. If you got a bunch of weight in your wings or in your wing tips, it might cut. You may not see the 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 plane try to roll. Yeah, it might cut through it, and what you because it won't have enough energy to push the wingtip up, so you won't see it, and it'll just glide past it. Whereas if it's light, it'll it'll bump a little bit. You'll see it, and you're like, oh, there's something there. The flip side of that is that's also that concept is also remember when we talked to Red about the Prandtl D, mm-hmm. I think it was. Um they had to put weight in the wing tips to keep it it was either Prandtl D or one of the other planes, but they had to put weights in the wing tips. It, uh, yeah, it was having a bad oscillation problem. So it would constantly yeah. go back and forth and back and forth because there wasn't enough, That's what it was. enough momentum to stop it from just um, having a, almost like a harmonic. And he said, once you put a little bit of weight in there, it stopped that harmonic and allowed you to just fly. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but with with gliders like this, it, that's with wings. Um, there's no weather vane in the back to keep it pointed a direction. Right, you're looking at drag right. somehow behind the CG is what's keeping the plane pointed in the same direction. Whereas with mm-hmm. a glider, there's a weather vane in the back. So that's less of an issue. So you don't have to worry about the oscillations. Um, but what, what they suggest is just not just keeping the wingtips, but if you keep the plane as light as possible, um, you'll have longer flight times for a given height. and also means you can fly slower before you stall. Um, mm-hmm. And it also means you don't have to nose down, put the nose down as steep as you would if you were heavier. So if you can, keep it as light as possible. <clears throat> so those are those five tips. Um, and then, then the next tip is, okay, so we talked about these thermal things. Like, what are thermals? Joe, do you know what thermals are? A little bit? A little bit. Um, they are a vertical column of air, one way or the other, um, mm-hmm. I would assume. When I generally when I think of a thermal, I think of the air going up. But arguably, thermal is just temperature, so the mm-hmm. the thermal could be coming down if it's a cold air thermal. And that's a good point, and that's very that's very true. That's called a sink. So we have a lift thermal and we have a sink thermal. Um, so oftentimes, um, so okay, we're we're gonna go talking about how to look for a thermal, but basically. Um, anywhere there's a hotter area, a, a greater reflectance in the ground surface or a, a hotter ground zone, which is oftentimes um, a darker area in the ground. So asphalt, um, a tree where you have like a, you have a big field, right? And next to those that big field is a bunch of trees. Well, those trees are going to generate more heat. They're going to have, um, they're going to hold more energy and create a bigger upward draft. Um, so what you're going to, a field is being a grassy field. Yeah. Like I've, you know, I go to my field, it's 40 acres of farmland, which has various coverings. Um, but it's surrounded on, on three of the sides by a small amount of forest, but those areas are going to generate some thermals over in those corners. Um, so if you're really, you know, looking for some, that's where you're going to start to look, uh, a darker means more heat. It doesn't matter if it's winter or summer. It's relativistic, right? That's what you're looking for is a relativistic difference in heat. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Also, one of the things you want to do when you're trying to find a thermal, look up, right? So there are a couple things you're going to want to look for when you look up. Look for the birds and the creatures that are attuned to finding your thermals. Birds that are circling, guess what they're circling in? Oftentimes, they're circling in a thermal. Um, Bug swarms are oftentimes put in thermals, they're kind of caught in them, or they hang out there because it's less energy to do what they do. So why wouldn't you want to just be easier, right? Everybody doesn't want to use energy, so bugs are doing the same thing. Um, Cumulonimbus clouds, the big poofy clouds, um, they they are the top of a thermal. Basically, that warm, moist air will go up in that thermal column until it gets cold enough and starts to coalesce around dirt particles in the air, forming a cloud. And where those clouds are, that's literally the top of a thermal. So on those days, specifically, very specifically. Cumulonimbus. Cumulonimbus, yep. And oftentimes, 
um, in the afternoons in North Carolina, <laughs> they're rolling past one after the next, after the next. I was driving home going, I should be sailing right now. <laughs> you know, this is the perfect yeah. weather, you know? And so what you want to do is you want to find one of those thermals. Um, and actually let me, let me go. And then we'll talk about like, once you find a thermal, like how do you, how do you do that? And how do you stay up and how do you keep up there? Um, so one of the, so after you've looked up, you kind of find, found the places where you want to be, right. And know that there's thermals in the area. So then you want to feel the wind. You're going to look for, look at the flags, um, maybe pick up some blades of grass and drop them and watch how they fall. Um, they're going to point in the direction the thermals are going. Okay. So look up, upwind and find one that's on its way. So you're looking for the clouds or for the, some of those birds um, if it's coming in from a direction, so if the wind is coming in from a direction, then dies and then picks up, then a thermal just passed over top of you. If the hmm. wind changes direction quickly, it, uh, change, uh, as it flows over you, um, it'll, it'll be flowing into the thermal, but only like right around that thermal. There'll be a general prevailing wind, but as the thermal comes past you, you're going to feel it whipping in different directions. As the, as it passes you, it's always going to be pointing in the direction to, like the upwind is where the where that thermal is passing. So it, it, okay. occasionally you kind of feel like oh it, it just whipped past me in a weird way, like no that all that all that air that's going up has to be replaced by something, and it's all the air around it is rushing into the center of that column, getting heated again and lifting. And remember mm. the the prevailing wind is pushing that thermal. So the thermals aren't static either. They're, they're going to keep moving. Um, so, so if we change, if we pay attention to the way the wind is changing, you can get to a point where you can, where you, you can feel like a thermal's coming and you can launch into that thermal or pretty close to it, which means now you're launching yeah, into a pocket of upwind. Get up there yeah. that daggum fast. <laughs> and, and, and the thing is, is, is they get bigger, if I recall right, um, X-Jet Bruce Simpson does a whole episode on what thermals are and kind of what they're doing and how to look for. He goes near the ground, they're small. And the higher up you get, the bigger they are, I think is how I put it. Um, so they're going to be harder to find at the ground, but once you get, and that's part of the reason why you want to launch your, your discus up a hundred feet, because you're more likely to find the thermal up at a hundred feet than you are the smaller cone. Imagine like a cone. Right, and it expands as it goes up. Okay. Um, on the ground, it's going to be smaller than it is up top. Um, but th that's they're not all shaped like that. But that's just one way. It's like generally speaking, they're kind of like this. So, so be aware. The higher you are, the more likely you are to find them. Um, let's see. So then you want to turn downwind and keep circling. So after you launch into the thermal, you want to you want to turn downwind, keep uh, keep circling to stay in that thermal. So you're just going to do what the birds do. It's basically going a nice lazy circle, always keeping one of the wingtips kind of in the middle of that thermal, and the other one always wanting to kind of dip out of it. And you ride that edge and just roll. It'll it'll lift you straight up, and it'll go faster than you think. With a swiftness. <clears throat> yep. I remember that. I remember that day we were flying your glider uh, as that thunderstorm was rolling in, uh -huh. and I remember hitting one, and it was gone. And you're like, "Whoa, that's small." 
yeah, that got small quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's it's pretty awesome. The cool part, but the thing is, you got to do is like, okay, well, I want out now, uh, and you basically got to now remember it's bigger because it's up higher, so you're gonna have to go a little bit further. Um, anyway, so eventually you're you're gonna develop into a skill sense where you can sense the changes that are happening uh, on the ground while you're paying attention to your aircraft in the air. So you'll be able to kind of sense what's coming maybe um, based on what's around you on the ground. So you can then direct your glider to what you see and what you feel and what you hope is coming. Right. Um, mm. And it, so it's a glider. So it's a vent, it's coming down, right? Like the whole time it's up there, it's coming down. You don't want it to stay. You don't want that. So your goal is to try to find one thermal to the next, to the next, which is exactly what full-scale thermal, uh, full-scale gliders do. They get towed up on one of those days with all the cumulonimbus clouds, and they just, and you, you can watch a couple of videos of those too and learn a lot from that. Uh, they have this thing called a Vario, which is a, um, an altitude equipment that basically just has a buzzer that goes beep, 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 beep. So when it's beeping, you're going up in elevation, and when it's climbing, you're going down. And depending on the tone, it tells you how fast, or when it gives that low, that's saying you're sinking. So it's telling the pilot the minute differences that are happening that you can't always feel in your seat. Mm -hmm. Um, because they're, they're small, but over a short distance, it can, it can mean a lot to a glider. And what you're doing is you're basically kind of trying to get up to scraping along the bottom of those clouds and then scooting from one cloud to the next one, finding the thermal that's under that cloud and like going around and getting back out altitude up and then scooting from the scraping along the bottom of that cloud all the way to the next one. (laughs) That's kind of cool. Yeah. And so they're doing that across a bunch of mountains and. It's, it's neat. Um, let's see. So all of these things, and then that, that's the last thing is, you know, don't panic. It's okay. Um, your plane's going to come down at some point, and all you got to do is just send it back up and hunt again. Um, these things, are, the, the planes you're going to find for this kind of task, they're designed to be thermal gliders. They're very light. They're very efficient. They're very smooth, typically. Um and so they're going to be efficient, right? And and the better the glider and typically the more costly, oftentimes they're going to be better at keeping in the air. Um, if it starts coming close, fairly close to the ground, do yourself a favor and steer it towards you and get ready for a landing. Don't think, oh, no, there's a thermal <laughs> out there. Like, no, um, plan for being out, okay? So when you're out... Um, Let's see, um, you know, just just plan on, you know, what might happen if you can't get it back, right? So be on the side of caution, get it back to you and land it. it it's okay. Just throw it up again. Um, and that's the great part is once you get it up in the air, like as a motorized glider, you turn on the motor, you get it up to altitude, you turn the motor off, you've run it for maybe a minute. And then the rest is yeah. no no power, almost no power. I mean, your servos aren't pulling much, and so you're you really aren't using anything. 
Um, to, yep. And if you lose and you get low and you want to go back up, just throttle back throttle up. Back but there's a lot of battery there. Hey, right. And so what I found is that uh, on most bad, like um, a 2200 battery with a park flyer, it'll last between, you know, eight to 10 minutes, let's say. With a glider, I'll be out there for 30 to 45 minutes. And if I caught a thermal, pff, I'll be, <laughs> I'll just get a lawn chair. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be, I'll be looking for my pepper speck in the sky, trying to get it back. Um, yeah. So, okay. So let's say you're fairly high up off, off after launch and there's no birds or obvious wind changes. What are you going to do? Well, you need to fly to areas where you think there might be thermals. So you fly to the boundaries of the warm or cool areas. So you go near the forest, um, you find asphalt or something like that. Um, if the plane starts going up and begins to circle, you're in the thermal. If not, fly to another area until you're obviously out of it. Um, and try to fly along paths and back and forth across the fields. Oftentimes, you just run a line, run a line watch the wingtips, see how they, how they go. Um, eventually, you'll get good at reading that. And um, you'll be able to start figuring out what's going on without even thinking about it too much. Um, just remember, pushing it too hard... You, you want to kind of have a decision height in mind. At, w at what point are you going to say, okay, it's time to bring it in? Um, a lot of people suggest 50 feet because um, remember your glide ratio is really high. That's why you have it. <laughs> That's why you built it. Um, so you mm -hmm. can go a lot further than most planes with 50 feet of height. Um, I think it was like you can go about 600. Is it 12 to 1? That would be about 600 feet. Well, it, depend it depends on the planes. Like I don't, I don't think a simple soar is that high. No, it's probably not 12. It, it might be more around 8, but still, I mean... I think, I think it's closer to 8, but that's still 400 feet. Yeah, it's a lot better than most other planes. So <laughs> just keep that in mind. Like, you're going to have to come back to you. Um, have a height in mind where you go, okay, that's low enough. It's time to come back. I got, you know, even if I find a thermal, like, it, it's I, it's better to get it back and start over. So mm -hmm. um, just remember that you also might fly through a sink, which is the downdraft. And you're, you will nose down, and you will start to go down pretty fast. So what you want to do is try to get yourself out of that as soon as you can so you can at least have a regular glad attitude and find a thermal to, to reverse that. So um, otherwise, just have fun. Um, last little bit is I know we talked about it a while back, but one of the neat things about thermaling is there is a certain kind of thermaling uh, that set the world speed record. <laughs> For RC aircraft. These these are nuts. These are stupid nuts. <laughs> nuts. <laughs> January 19th, 2021, Spencer Lissenby set the world speed record for RC aircraft by using an aerodynamic oddity called dynamic soaring. He basically flies along the trough or the backside of a hill. And then with little resistance on the downside, he comes up using that momentum and then the wind flowing over the top of the hill will then give him like like putting a rudder against the the water. You know how that gives a sailboat its sideways speed, right? It's kind of like no, but okay. So, but the the glider catches into that overflow wind as it comes over the hill, and it gains crazy amount of speed to push it back down that hill gaining more momentum and it keeps doing that a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And soon yep, it's a feedback. Loop. It's a feedback loop. And sooner or later, it's going to 548 miles an hour. That is 
almost no, transonic. Like, I don't know how you control it at those speeds. They lose a lot of gliders, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, they're coming to the point where they are uh, in the transonic range. They're pretty close. Um, and then, so yeah, they're, these planes are normally operating at 60 to 80 Gs and can peak out at 120 Gs. It's ridiculous. Uh, how do you engineer that? I don't even know. A lot of carbon fiber. <laughs> That's all I got to say. As light as you possibly can and a lot of carbon fiber, I'm thinking. But mm. uh, we'll have a link to the website, uh, to one of the news articles that kind of discusses that. Um, it's just one of those things like this is what gliding can do for you if you really want it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Hmm. All right. That's it. Well, thank you for talking about gliding today. Yeah, well, I wanted you to know what to look for while you're out there trying to fly with your glider. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, hopefully I'll have it out and up sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um. We'll see. It's almost finished. Well, good. I'm hoping the same thing, too. Yeah. Um, Imagine if you and I could both go gliding together. <sighs> That'd be beautiful. We'll come up this weekend. Oh, wait, no, this weekend's no good. Darn it. <laughs> yeah, I'm running sound this weekend. Uh, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. I, yeah. I think next time we get together, we'll we'll make sure to have our gliders and we'll be having fun. Assuming I don't break mine again. I know, right? Well, that's okay. I've, I've not had a glider survive a flight yet. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't bode well. Think about my track record. Oh, boy, oh, boy. That's all right. Just be more careful. Um, okay, so I guess our big question is, did we get it all? I mean, are there more topics you want us to cover on this, uh, in, in this section in gliders? Um, what, what do you want us to cover more? Or is there a gliding guru that you think we should talk to, that we should le all learn from? Um, give us an email. Let us know. Uh, you could reach us at aviationrcnoob at gmail.com. You could reach me at Matthew at AviationRCNoob.com or Joe at Joe at AviationRCNoob.com. Tell us what you're thinking. We want to hear more. Um, we'll have references to the Waco Glider, to building one yourself, to those articles we talked about, to a number of the gliding links so that you can look them over yourself. There's some really great um, – uh, some of the resources I found had some really great um, pictures, some great – what am I trying to think of? Visual references. Uh, that help mm -hmm. explain it really well. I thought there were great um, pic, uh, pictures there. That, that did a great job. And, uh, you know, come join us. Come join us at our next build night. It'll be the 23rd this month between 8 and 11 uh, Eastern Daylight Time on our Discord mm -hmm. forum. So we'll have a link to our Discord forum in the, in the notes as well. Come join us. Don't forget about us. We'll see you next week. We appreciate you listening. Thanks. You just have decided you're going to steal my outro. <laughs> then say it, Joe. Tell us how to do it. No, no, you've done it now. Oh, I thought you were going to say, we'll see you later. Have a great time. Bye. <laughs> oh my God. See, there, I can use that. All right, you can use that. You can just, you could just, as I'm, as I'm going about halfway through, just cut me off.
<laughs> just put the pie. <laughs> 50, uh, 53 episodes ish I've done the same outro and for the last four you've been taking you've been trying to take it and I finally let you don't forget to join us in our discord hey Joe how to, how to take us out of here let's get out of here no nah, nah. no no you, you done Look, done I, it. okay so I didn't lob you up up the nice volleyball so you could spike it you sure you don't I could do it right now you just clip all that junk no. out. No. All right. It's all right. Don't cry in your Cheerios. It'll be okay. I won't cry. No, next time right. you're doing the outro, I will sh- I'll just leave it to you. It's fine. I mean, I've kind of stolen the intros since we've you know, gone without, since we've gone to just the music. Yeah, that's all right. I just figured I already had, I covered the, the email addresses. I'm like, well, that pretty much yeah, covers everything. Like, I'm like, man, oh. he is... Straight up stealing my outro. All right. Well, next time we're gonna have another call to action, and uh, Joe, you you go, uh, you read those, and that'll be leading okay. you up to exactly what you want to on the outro. Sure. All right. All right. Stop. Hammer time. <laughs>